Welcome to Season 9 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Before we get into this episode, Dan and I are calling out all of you leadership educators. Are you struggling to spice up your learning activities? Do you need somebody to bounce your ideas off of that has no stakes in the game? Meaning they're not your students, they're not your faculty peers, they're not your dean? Well, connect with us for expert guidance on creating engaging and inclusive classroom learning environments. Are you an academic leader seeking a program reviewer? Dan has availability this semester and would love to help you elevate your approach with customized feedback on your program. You can reach out to both of us through LinkedIn today. Welcome to season nine of the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. This season, we're discussing generative learning for leadership educators. This is an approach to leadership development and education that focuses on cultivating generative thinking and behaviors in leaders. Generative thinking is the ability to create new possibilities think systemically, and generate innovative solutions to complex problems. It involves shifting from a reactive or problem-solving mindset to a proactive and creative mindset. That's right. And uh, as we think about this in the context of leadership education, uh, when we're thinking generatively, we're aiming to develop leaders who can navigate uncertainty, inspire collaboration, and create positive change in the organizations and communities. Um, as we think about it even more applied, it might involve experiential learning, reflection, and the development of skills, like you said, like systems thinking, uh, adaptive leadership, and emotional intelligence. We know our audience is familiar with a lot of those concepts. So our hope is that we bring guests this season to share with us about how they're thinking about these things and how they're doing post-pandemic. So we've invited leadership educators, uh, faculty, and other disciplines who've won awards for their teaching, scholars, and other folks to talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, they're also shared with us some of their thoughts on ethics and social phenomena, all these disruptions and adaptive challenges we're dealing with, and other emerging trends and issues affecting leaders in this space. We're broadly asking the big question, how are we processing what's happened and what's happening and affecting our classrooms and campuses as we're trying to develop curriculum, teach, evaluate leadership learning, and build community? So today we are joined by Bert Dekaltahor, IP and Innovation Lead at the Center for Creative Leadership. In our episode today, we'll ask Bert about how the CCL has persevered as a learning organization, maintaining its generative approach to leadership development and training through the pandemic and into the AI environment. Welcome to the show, Bert. Thank you very much. And thank you for doing the effort on my last name. I know it's not easy for uh, non-Dutch speakers. It is not. And Bert, let me just say, I appreciate that I can call you Bert because I would hate to have to keep saying your last name. It's fine. My entire professional career, I'm actually mostly been talking in English and being referred to as Bert. So it's uh, it's uh, it's my professional name. <laughs> well, thank but... you for your grace. <laughs> so Bert, so as I was uh, chatting before we started recording and doing some some email sleuthing, I, I found that we had interacted a couple of times when I was uh, doing my sabbatical work at the Center for Creative Leadership way back in 2018. I had met one of your colleagues, Chuck Palace, at an ILA conference way back in 2017 in Brussels. Um, I think the CCL was a big sponsor of the conference that year. Um, and he introduced me to Stedman Harrison and David Horth. And um, and I'd interacted a little bit with Todd Deal and Preston Yarborough through some of my work with the ILA as well. And then we had Chuck and Stedman on, uh, gosh, three years ago at this point, um, um, for a, a podcast episode called 
using mediated dialogue for meaningful conversations with CCL, uh, Chuck Palace and Stephen Harrison. And so you know a lot about that approach, I'm sure, because a lot of the, the tools that you've helped to digitize over the last few years and as I was going back through the memory lane and seeing just how many of the digital tools that uh, you had your uh, you had your mark on, I got uh, even more excited about this this conversation. And so, just always great work going on at, at the Center for Creative Leadership. And so, I'm curious for you personally, would, would you share just a little bit about maybe your background, and then also how did you enter the field of leadership development, and what motivated you to join the Center for Creative Leadership? Oh boy, so. I'm actually quite a loyal employee, if I say so myself. I've had two employers in my life. So I um, I, I joined IBM, you know, Big Blue, uh, the more computer, some more the technical part um, of the job. But very early in my 14 years IBM career, I went into a little part of IBM that was called uh, IBM Learning Development, which was the part that uh, created learning for our customers, you know, and all kinds of things, uh, SAP training, uh, sales training, leadership training, all kinds of topics. Those were the years where really e-learning took off. Uh, remember, starting with the CD-ROMs and then all the way up to where we are today. So I've lived through some of that, uh, which have been amazing times. So first uh, at IBM and then with that, um, with that more general learning knowledge. Uh, I then uh, made the switch, I think it's also about 14 years ago, to CCL, where the focus is only on leadership development. So, so that's more narrow than compared to my IBM days. Um, but, but equally interesting. And yeah, I mean, one anecdote, when I joined CCL, I think the, the second year I was at CCL, I was one of the three, let's say, founding people of the of leader MOOC, which was you know at that time MOOCs, massive open online courses were you know the big thing in the education landscape. So we actually organized the first uh, massive online open course on leadership, uh, which was had about four thousand people. I think I, I I still know it was crazy busy and, and slightly exhausting, but I remember at that time I had to convince. CCL and the organization that um, virtual communication is communication too, and virtual learning is learning too. And now we're 14 years uh, back in time, right? So a lot has changed. Uh, but yeah, specifically in the field of leadership, which has always been seen as more of a contact sports that you do in person, um, it has it has taken some some time and some skill to to do that partially uh, through virtual and technology enhanced ways as well. But that has been my journey, starting from that. Uh, lots of experiments. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. Can you talk a little bit more in depth about how, like, your experience at IBM really shows up in your day to day or in your in your work at the CCL? So when I was still with IBM. It was the birth of, of e-learning. E- even the term was coined during that time, uh, mostly the formal part, and very soon after also informal learning. IBM was making some big bets on technology-enhanced learning at the time. Um, but what we created were what is now considered as these e-learning page-turner things, right? You know, e-learning courses with a next button, and next to that button, press the next button to go to the next page. I mean, how how basic can it get, right? So we've evolved a lot from there, I think. Um, But even in my IBM time, I remember uh, there were studies going on on what can you learn? What are the leadership skills you can learn through World of Warcraft? At at the time, years ago, IBM did actually a little little study on that. So it it wasn't just the formal learning, it were some other things as well. Um, Second Life was was there at that time. So we were experimenting also with other people on what's different here, what can you do that you can't do before without it. you may think of metaverse what you want, but in a lot of ways, whatever we learned through Second Life, what, what worked and didn't work, we, we can still remember for whenever the technology is going to be mature enough to do big, big simulations uh, inside uh, those virtual worlds. So there's actually, it seems like a long time, but in, in learning, 
sometimes you have to wait 10, 15 years for certain things to mature enough to be really, really useful. Um, so some of what I've encountered very early on with IBM only became like practical uh, years later when I, when I didn't work there anymore. I love that evolution that you shared because it's so right around that time. And I feel like I might've told this story on the podcast, but it's been many years, but I was teaching when I was working on my PhD, I was at university of South Florida in Tampa. This would have been maybe 29, 2009, 2010. And the student said, Hey, you know, I, I, uh, he waited after class to talk to me and he seemed really upset. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, what's going on? And he says, you know, I, you, we've got this paper where you're asking us to talk about like organizations that we've been a part of. He's like, I'm not part of anything. He's like, you know, I worked once, but I didn't like it. So I quit in high school. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, what do you, what do you, what do you do for fun? He goes, he goes, Oh, you're going to laugh. I'm like, what? He goes, oh, I play world of Warcraft, man, like a lot. And I'm like, okay, tell me more about that. He's like, well, you know, I have this clan that I run and there's like 40 of us. And I was like, uh, is there any conflict that ever arises? Are you guys ever like meeting, going together towards a, like uh, uh, a mutual goal, you know? And he, he, and then his, he like lit up, you know, and he says, oh yeah. And this and that and the other. And, you know, and I, and I had, you know, I, I had played it once or twice. I don't know too much about it. I, I played Diablo a little bit when I was an undergrad, uh, which was kind of like the precursors of stuff like that. But, you know, to, to your point, like there's, I mean, wow, there's, there's so much interaction and leadership skills that are uh, like kind of intertwined in things like the world of Warcraft. In fact, we had a, a new assistant professor join our uh, department three years ago that his uh, dissertation topic was on uh, tabletop games, specifically Dungeons and Dragons, and how that can be a uh, um, something that coaches and trainers can use uh, as a, I guess, as a lens for looking at group dynamics, right? So if you got a C-suite, for example, and had them go through a quest, what would you learn about how they work together, right? So I, what were some of the things that you learned through some of that investigation um i remember that one of the things ibm did at the time was was experiment with a second life yeah. learning experience around diversity which which is a very current topic right uh, but then way back in second life because it was a way to make people emotionally connect with some of that topic that that you couldn't do by by reading it off a screen uh, basically so so yeah, we did discover that that immersion can be a very good technique. So basically, e-learning started the way, well, mimicking the most popular learning format, which is basically instruction, right? Somebody gives instruction uh, as a training format, but there is immersive learning, which has its, its place. And I think it's coming back in the next years because... Um, sometimes even like executive teams I talked to now, it's like, well, Bert, three years ago, you talked all about blockchain and it was in the newspaper. And two years ago, you you were all about um, metaverse. And then this year, it's all about AI, AI, AI. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's hard to still believe, you know, is this really going to happen? But, but actually, the, the real story is that all these technologies are building towards something quite exciting. So, so take Second Life long ago, what we know that sometimes the immersive, lear an immersive learning experience can be very beneficial for some purposes. If you combine the, the metaverse technology of today with the generative AI to actually rapidly build and create and script these worlds. If you're gonna add um, maybe uh, quantum computing that's coming maybe in five years to make that all even better and better and better that, that, then you see that, that this whole thing is all these technologies together are building up to basically to giving us capabilities to do things that were very hard to do before and therefore maybe, maybe we didn't and I guess that's been a red line in, in my career when is something ready enough mature enough so you can start doing things that for some reason you didn't or couldn't do before and of course, it's still it's still good learning because I I'm say that's where I sometimes that's where I draw my own internal line. If it's not learning anymore, then I I kind of disconnect and uh, and it's a tricky thing between you know the infotainment thing uh, education. So I mean, I'll give you just one example. That's one of my pet peeves. 
you hardly learn anything from clicking on multiple choice assessment questions. There's ample research that says you actually have to type it in or write it down because then the chance of retention are much higher. Yet, because of everything needs to be so simple, so clear, we, we, we make everybody makes these online multiple choice question and, and you click because it's easy and people want it. Uh, the thing is, we can make learning that is more chunked and we can make it in the right colors. We can make it uh, perform. We can make it uh, small just in any time. We can make it accessible. But what, what we should never take away is the fact that it takes effort. If, if something doesn't take like cognitive effort, like makes you think a little bit, then the chance of learning are very low. And, and sometimes that's where I draw my line. But I usually lose these conversations, I must add. So, uh, but for me, that's important that whatever we do with these new technologies, at the end of the day, we're still there to help people in their learning processes, in the developmental processes. You know, you said a couple of really good things in there, like the line between learning. And I feel like it was like disconnect or disinterest because I, I, I really understand what you mean. Like once you get to that pursuit of, of finding something, it either morphs into something else new to pursue or it just kind of like slowly just just dies or just evaporates. Or um, I've watched another Marvels movie this weekend. So you snap your finger and it like goes off into uh, it's a blip. It goes off into an epiphany. Anyway, I like that though. That line between learning and 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 whatever that next step is, and and really encouraging people to continue morphing into whatever that next piece is. Um, I also like this idea that you said, like the 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 technology is kind of building because my first thought was. So when I used to, you know, I am a video game novice, like my parents used to get us like Nintendos, Segas, but I really, I played it the week after Christmas and then went off to something else. But um, it made me think about all of the video games, like you played them with your controller, but there was never like a voice component. And so it made me think about how what we're seeing with AI now is you can type in words and it'll generate a picture based on your text description. And, and imagine if in playing these video games or interacting, there was still the controller component, but then there was a voice component. And then there's text component, like show this in the video games. I don't know if they do these things because, again, I'm very novice, but it made me think about how like you said, like you've called these things out as they've come along and it's, it's thinking about kind of how are they now connecting and building to each other instead of kind of being these separate, almost silos of, of, um, growth or development or creation. It's now they're all kind of starting to come together. So I don't know if I had a question, but it was more kind of a reflection of your comment. Um, those two comments that, that I heard. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like technology. I'm one of those people, right? So, so uh, for me, on on themselves, it's very interesting. But they also it also builds together to probably a new kind of internet experience that in ten years time will be quite normal, where we are more immersed in it, where there's some uh, trust built on blockchain technology and, and credentials that that go with it, where um, where because of generative AI, we will co-create with AI and other humans and maybe even co-lead with AI and other humans, which is just is all these, these, these great uh, dynamics. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, this year I felt like I was back at university because when I was at university, that whole internet thing started, you know, and, and I remember we had to write a paper for some class on, you know, what's this internet thing about and how it's constructed and so on. And this year has felt pretty similar to that with the generative AI coming out. Um, you know, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything, uh, fast evolution. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy I, I can, I have the luxury to be also in a place in the Center for Creative Leadership where I can experiment with, with some of that stuff and see what does it actually bring uh, for learning. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that I always admired about the CCL was the ability to innovate. You know, it's not just a clever name, right? The Center for Creative Leadership, I feel like even back to their origins, which uh, they have a little museum and library at the in their headquarters in Greensboro, it was clear that they were, you know, on the cutting edge of 
of a lot of these things and um, and kind of circling back to your to your point about you know technologies and all and, and Lawrence too all these different type of technologies all you know uh, coming together and converging at once you know you have something where you know you might have two people play to uh, to go back to your novice days uh, uh, of the Nintendo of the uh, of the NES Lawrence so playing Tech Mobile one on one you know on a tube TV is a lot different than playing esports right against people from all over the world and the the amount of uh, of information that can be shared and people are on headsets and they're you know you could have multiple players and it's 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 really it's really uh, it's amazing right it's fantastic and and to see what we're what we're able to do and how we think about um, how might that translate to how we develop and understand our roles as leaders um, and, and leadership roles, working on teams and within organizations. I remember one of the first things that came across my my email from you when I was working on my sabbatical stuff was I was shared, a, I think like a login to a beta test on this thing called Center for Creative Leadership's Job Challenge Profile. Uh, which was based on Cindy McCauley's research on yeah. how people learn leadership at work. That was pre-pandemic, right? I think this was like 2019. And um, yeah. as, as I'm thinking about this, so I'm not going to dive into that because I want to ask you about some of the other tools that you've been working on, but just that is kind of like a touch point. But I remember one of the things that I took away, people say, well, what was it like on, you know, on the campus there in Greensboro? And I said, oh, man, I said, it's like a conference every day here. I said, they, they're they bringing people <laughs> from all over the world. They're doing a seminar in this room and they're doing a training in that room. And if and then half the faculty are out somewhere else, uh, you know, traveling to all over the world, doing on-site programming on, you know, at organizations. And, you know, it was just like, wow. And so then this pandemic happens and I thought, oh, no, like what's going to happen to CCL? So much of their work was done in person, face-to-face. You know, they, there hadn't been a lot of experimentation that I could see that was digital or whatever, but I know that there were folks like you kind of working in the, you know, working on the side there, but also extremely valued because I got some beta access to some of those digital tools. I think in the summer or early fall of 2020, one of the biggest things was um, and when we had Chuck Palace and Stedman Harrison on, they were talking a lot about the Visual Explorer and a lot of the card decks mm-hmm that are a big part of their learning process, getting people to talk, getting people to share. And you seem to have led the charge of digitizing a lot of those tools. What's going on with those tools now? Oh, that was a lot. Let's see if there's yeah. like... Sorry. <laughs> because because I, I keep experimenting one thing after the other, but you know, looking back at it, there is like, there's a line, there is meta to the madness. There's like a, a storyline in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess it's how far can you go with digitizing the leadership development process? Which parts and, and, and what can you do? Like that very first thing you described where, where you were invited to take part of, of a beta on the job challenge profile, that was actually an experiment to see, can you digitize the whole assessment process? In leadership, one very popular technique is to learn through an assessment. You take an assessment, maybe it's 360 assessment, uh, it's taken and then you get the results, you discuss them, you analyze them for yourself, you you make a few actions based on the data you get and then maybe you make some behavior changes. So it's a very common thing. But uh, before pandemic, the only part that was digitized in that entire thing, like you know, being motivated to take the assessment, taking the assessment, getting the results, uh, interpreting the results, setting a few actions and seeing those actions through. Only the part doing the assessment was actually online. All the rest was uh, classroom-based. So that was an experiment like, how far can you go? Is it possible to digitize the entire thing, the entire process, right? So that's an experiment there. Now, when, and I must say CCL has always been an organization that up to the point of COVID really preferred to do things face-to-face. That was also the larger part of our business. So then comes COVID, bam. Um, not the nicest period of my life, I must say, but so probably not for any of us. So overnight, everything like dropped. So our, our, we really also in terms of revenue, we are not for profit, but you know, <laughs> we do need money to fulfill our mission. So that, that like felt flat, uh, it, it made really like a V, right? Um, so, we had to come up with things to to digitize. So what you're referring to 
from your earlier podcast, which is this uh, technique, mediation through, through images, which um, Chuck Palas and David Hort have perfected and created this great tool in CCL we, we call Vision Explorer. One, one of our top you know, popular activities, we well, couldn't do that anymore. Um, now, the thing is that that technique of Visual Explorer, the real valuable part is the conversations you have through the image. Usually, and it still amazes me to this day, but usually that process works extremely well and usually people have great conversations that are usually way overdue. Um, how do you do that in a COVID time? So what we needed to digitize was not the valuable part, the conversation part, it was the, the logistical part leading up to that, being able to pick cards and show them to others, right? So that was really a very quick first, we did with the CCL Labs, we, we made something so people could you know, pick the cards online, that facilitators could set up the exercise and so on. Um, and that worked for us. Um, I also learned a lot. One of the things I've learned is that if you make a tool that can do anything and is super uh, powerful, it means it's also super complex and has a learning curve. <laughs> so most people will maybe not use it. So, so we followed that up with a second tool that only allowed you to control a few things and customize a few things, but that was a lot easier to use. And, and, and that one became more popular. But so I've done that because how far do you need to go digitally? Well you shouldn't digitize the conversation on Visual Explorer, really, because that's where the value is. But you need to get to that point, and, and that we made uh, digitally happening. But if you take that, that same exercise, Visual Explorer, all the way to now, oh boy, this has been an interesting year. And you may have seen that in another CCL Labs newsletter. Um, at some point, we started getting this text-to-image uh, generative AI, where you where you basically write a prompt and then an image is created. Well, usually four images and you pick one. And I was interested in like, can you generate through AI those type of cards you need to have that mediated dialogue? Because they have to be a bit metaphorical. They have to be open to multiple interpretations. There are some characteristics on what kind of pictures would work, right? So we fed that into to an AI and the AI generated like a list of, oh, you could have these kind of cards and then we fed it into a text to image and, and had a, a beta of, a, of an AI uh, generated image set that we tested out briefly and, and kind of works. Um, we did that, oh, it feels like a years ago, but that's not possible because generative AI is only, is only out for a year. Um, Interestingly, at the beginning, those image generators were not very good at certain things. For example, they were very bad at actual signs or language in the image. So I still remember that one of the images created was, um, was like a lot of uh, post signs, a lot of traffic signs and so on, all together as, as an image. But all the text on those signs were gibberish, which actually made, made a better Visual Explorer image because uh, multiple interpretations. So we've done that, but then, and that's something I, I still haven't done yet. But now in generative AI, in, in the new version of ChatGPT, you can actually have the AI be one of the members of the process because that mediated dialogue process, it really, whatever the, the question is, be it the problem you want to discuss, be it the future you want to build, is symbolized by that image that people pick quite intuitively. And then you, you go around the group and talk about what you see in that image that relates to the topic. Now AI can help with that as well. AI can be one of your partners that you can ask AI and what you see in that image that as it relates to the topic. So I guess the storyline here is how far can you and do you need to go in digitizing a leadership development process and there's more and more possible uh, each step of the way. Just one final note on COVID. To, I think COVID was bad, okay? But it was also a blessing in a certain way that it convinced our organization that you can very successfully and with a lot of impact, you can do leadership development in a virtual way. It can be done. I mean, maybe to our own amazement, the 
the satisfaction numbers of people taking our courses, which were converted to live online like in a day, right? Um, they didn't drop because I guess somehow in the back of our mind, we have always thought, yeah, it's an inferior experience. People prefer the lifeline thing and, and, and that, that was not true. So coming out of the pandemic, we, we stand on both legs, so, so to speak, right? We have the, we have the face-to-face, uh, which has come back. Uh, we still have the virtual, we have a strong combination now. So I think it convinced us that it can be done successfully with an equal impact. It's just another way to do it. This is this is great. It's, uh, these are some of the things I wanted to to ask you about. In fact, the uh, the article and that tool that you all had shared about uh, creating those visual explorer images that were made by the AI it was really really interesting. I did play around with that a little bit. The other thing that I want to talk to about because it it actually uh, spawned me to try out some things. The there was an article earlier this year. It was called. It was a featured project, and it was called "Can AI Generate Role Play Scenarios." Um, and so you were talking about having the AI play a role in one of these mediated dialogues. But in this, in these role play scenarios, it was interesting because there's a there's a role play that I it's one of my favorite activities to run. And these are one of the things where you're talking about, you know, to your point, when you're moving from an in-person situation to a digital situation, can you can you bring with you all of the learning that comes with that that uh, interaction, right? And and mm-hmm. You were saying it's not about it's about the conversation it's about the experience right it's not about it's a means to an end getting the tool to to do or look like or to be able to sort the cards or show the cards or or what have you um there's a a phenomenon in in leadership called situational leadership i don't know if you've ever played around with with that theory but you have like four different types of leaders and four different types of like followers or members. The leaders are based on how much that they uh, like have directing behaviors or supporting behaviors. And then the follower is uh, how much skill do they have, but also how much will do they have? And so you do this uh, scenario where you have, you have the different combinations interact with each other around a certain topic. And the topic that we use is a service organization wants to plant trees on a riverbank. Very simple, right? And a member is coming to pitch this idea to the leader. Hey, I want to make this stream bank more beautiful. I want to plant some trees about it. Can you help me figure this out? But it depends on the different interactions, right? And so I took this scenario and I plugged it into chat GPT and I asked it and I said, here are the eight different roles. Can you tell me what it would look like or what would a, I asked it, can you generate a script for me, which is essentially the same thing as, can you go through this interaction and tell me what would happen, right? And so it was, some of them were actually, they were ridiculous, um, some of them, but it was really interesting to hear them say things like there was a situation where, you know, this person, so you have a leadership style that's supportive and structured, but then you have a member that needs a lot of, that doesn't have a lot of skill, but has a lot of will. And so, you know, you get a couple lines into the script and then the leader says, you know, that sounds like a fantastic project. And then they get really directed. Here's what you need to do. You need to set clear expectations, create a plan. I'll help you outline the tasks and I'll give you some guidance. And the, the member's like, well, that would be really helpful. I wasn't sure how to get started. And then the leader's like, well, no problem. That's my role to provide structure. With the right plan, you can make this work, right? And then the member says, hey, thanks for the guidance. Uh, can we review it together? And they're like, well, you know what? Um, you can probably find somebody else to help you review that for you. You know, I've been around here for a long time. I've learned the hard way. You need to learn this stuff on your own, just like I did, you know? And it's like, ooh, okay. You know, and then the things the things proceed. But it's interesting that you can use it for these types of things. And it's hard to have eight people on Zoom interact in a role play I found that shared the, some of the different scenarios with students and had them go into smaller groups and work through some of these things. They found that to be, I was going to say equally, but that might be a stretch, but similarly powerful, I guess, and how they were thinking about, oh, wow, when you get this type of leader and this type of follower or team member together, sometimes these interactions between these styles work really well. Sometimes they don't, and they could all have, they all related to these different types of interactions. Um, so I guess a, you know, a, a brief example, but also I'm curious, what, what did y'all find uh, when you were working with 
generating those role play scenarios because mm. that's a whole other uh, a whole other well that's actually very interesting because because we've been working on that for like the past month now that's one of the other experiments all we do is our experiments so far um so first of all go back to what you want to do that you couldn't do before with this for learning right and um First of all, for something as nuanced and complicated or complex as, as leadership, um, role plays are very beneficial. They are part of, of most programs. But if you want to digitize that, either a very simple technology or a very advanced simulation technology, you, you bump into, let's say, at least three problems. One of them is it is very expensive because it's very time consuming to create those. Because uh, before, before generative AI, we had to branch everything out and, and you could have this whole role play and scenarios and things you look into. You may hire an actors, but still you have to brief them on all the possible things that may happen. So it, 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 it takes some effort to create good ones, right? So that, that's the first problem. And then, then the second problem is, um, because of the technology that needs to be able to handle it, they often were for leadership too scaffolded. For certain simulation and role play types, you can have, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to door A or door B kind of thing. Uh, but but leadership has so much nuance and so on in it that, that, that that's too scaffolded and, and it feels a bit, you know, not worth doing for, for a lot of players. And then the third problem is... Um, that very often I found in these, these digital role plays, the feedback you get is quite poor because it's supposed to be developmental feedback that, that sets you on your way, right? Now, so we've done experiments now by the AI to see what can we do about these things. And can it generate role plays? It can help you do that, yes. What you found even more interesting is that it can now be a partner in doing the role play. So, so we just tested that with simple one human one AI basic scenario. Once you give enough data to the AI, it can carry out a role play. You 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 also you may say things like you are this type of leader and this is your personality. You may even make variations like you your behavior is that you are very busy and don't want to make time, or your behavior is this and that. You feed all that in, and then we actually got to a point where just via chat interface. You can have any conversation, not scaffolded anymore, like choice A or choice B. You, you can have a real uh, conversation. And then if you feed in a feedback rubric that is well-made, you can actually say to the AI, now read through everything that happens during this role play. And this is the criteria. And this is what good looks like on this criterion. And this is what average looks like. And this is what, you know, bad, very good looks like. And you can have the AI formulate what it thinks, how you've done on the criteria, and why. And so if if you make that input good enough, and it doesn't have to be like pages and pages, just if you make that concise and good enough, you get a lot of results. So I think this is going to speed up this whole role-playing part uh, for leadership. And I think it's barely needed because because in a lot of our programs, we are very, you know, brain driven, right? And leadership isn't so much about what you know. You need to know certain things. And specifically, if you're a starting leader, there are certain basics, certain models can help you. But beyond that, it's it's more practice than, than knowing, actually. So I see a lot of, of potential in there. Uh, so, yeah, there is, I mean, you should always have guardrails in place, right? So whenever you generate something with AI, don't just take it at face value. I actually call that a fool with a tool, like just type in stuff and whatever comes out, you run with it. Uh, but, but there are ways to, to make that happen very well. And the other thing I found, I think is gonna be much needed is that before, because it was so costly and in time and to make all these role play scenarios, like the one you just described, you have to think it all through. Once you have it, you have it, right? You don't want to touch it anymore. And, and what a lot of people want is that, yeah, but I'm this kind of person in this kind of industry and in this kind of country. Why don't you just adapt your role play 
to me and to us. And that was very hard to do. And now that is extremely easy to do. Basically say to the AI, can you rewrite this for that, 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 and that? And it's going to feel much more uh, relevant for people. You know, it's interesting. You bring up so many good points, both kind of pros and cons. Um, like you were talking about leadership, it's, it's so nuanced and relies on so many variables that if you're, you know, re- relying on kind of that first output from that generative tool, then it it might not solve your problems. You can't just take it at least to take it at face value. Um, mm-hmm. It also made me think that like, so I, I like those tools, but I find that I gravitate more to them for brainstorming and regularly as we have these conversations, that's what people say, like kind of use it as an initial starting point, um, have some back and forth and dialogue with it. And then you still have to have a certain level of knowledge or, or certain experience, depending on what you're working with to evaluate whether it's, it's, it's accurate or, or correct. I hate to use like correct, because that's such a, a, a finite term, but you still have to, to evaluate whether it's it's logical and it will address what you're trying to get it to address. I know for yeah. me, it helps kind of challenge my thinking. One of the things we talk about is with the, we always, then I have regular conversations about like adaptive challenges and, and with these new problems, we need complex thinking, but a tool like this, like a, like a chat GPT, um, either, you know, 3.5, 4, whatever version it is, it's helpful and almost as a leader, giving you somebody to bounce your ideas off of first before you take it to the masses. And we talk about like credibility and knowledge and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the talking function of that to me feels like a really valuable resource, especially if I'm a leader of a certain level. Now, mind you, I'm not putting in, you know, specifics because everything you input in there is is in the system. But if I'm saying, what if this hypothetical scenario comes up? Here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? And and it's giving me some feedback. It might be another like level that we haven't unlocked yet as leaders. Like one of the questions I think about, like you you said, um, how are we digitizing leadership, but also how are we creating it so the user doesn't have a poor experience and doesn't want to kind of toss the whole thing away? Uh, I'm constantly thinking about these ways that we can use it to address the problems that we have. And so some of those things that you've said, like just kind of goes back to, I feel like this is kind of the, what we've kind of come up with this season is, is really thinking about how are you using in that talk and response space? Like when you mentioned digitizing the assessment process, I was like, wow, you know, it's interesting. I put some, I had an assessment I did. It gave me a couple of results. I put some of those results into to, uh, chat GPT and said, here are my results from this assessment. What are your initial thoughts? And had a back and forth about my, my report almost as if the thing was a coach itself and it was pretty accurate right it was pretty accurate but also I could like see they just pulled it from the website and and so it was it was helpful but I still had to know whether or not it was effective or not you know what I mean like whether it looked good but if I didn't have an understanding of the assessment that I would I don't know that I'd be confident in evaluating it so anyway again more random thoughts but your your comments are just generating all of these ideas um, that I think folks can use moving forward. Yeah, and and you did the same to me. So uh, <laughs> thoughts, thoughts that have been popping in. You know, we, we talked about World of Warcraft uh, a bit earlier on, uh, which as a side effect, it can help you develop your leadership skills if you're, you know, uh, leading a, I don't know how they call that, a gang or whatever in, in, in the world of Warcraft. Yeah, a clan, that's it, right? Um, actually, um, last week I, I saw some Microsoft brought out its co-pilot uh, and, and they tested it with a lot of users first and they've, they've released a lot of statistics on, on how those first batch of users are using it and feeling about it and so on. And one of the interesting things I saw in there is that who uses that the best at this moment? And it's not the novices, it's not the, the young new employees, it's actually experienced managers that use those tools the best. And, and one reasoning for that is that experienced managers already know or should know how to clearly communicate what they want and should already know how to provide effective feedback if it's not entirely what I had in mind, for example, right? So, so those are skills that are transferable to, to how good you are using generative AI or, or things that, that 
develop as a byproduct of, of um, using generative AI. But you can use it for more than, than a brainstorming body. I mean, ultimately, you'll use it what, what you need to use it for, I've meant it for. A lot of people tell me, I use this to what I call overcome the, the blank screen anxiety, because you know, if you have nothing, it's very hard to start with something. But if you have something, then you have something to start modifying and tweaking and discussing on. So it, it's it's to kickstart you. That's another thing with, with generative AI. Your starting point is at a higher level of quality. Whatever you're doing as a task, your starting point becomes a higher level of quality. So yes, for, the, for these, you know, but there are other very interesting prompting techniques. I did a session in a conference last week on prompting techniques for, for learning professionals. For example, you can ask it to explain its reasoning. And there are terms you can use like uh, chain of thought or tree of thought, but, but those are ways where you can actually learn. I think you know, metacognition is one of your topics. It's actually like explain your reasoning to me. And, and that can have very interesting results. There's something called few shot prompting where, because um, these large, it still amazes me. These large language models, they basically are trained on almost like twice the internet, including all the cat videos and everything, right? <laughs> they use on a huge amount of data. But to make them do something useful for you, something new, you only need to provide a few examples. Uh, I, I, I did that now. at the Center for Creative Leadership. We use a, a feedback model called, called SBI. So, so you basically say, I want you to uh, see if I'm giving effective feedback or not. And I give example one equals, and uh, for example, Bert, you are always great. And um, the, the feedback is, that is not effective feedback because it's too generic, right? I mean, I don't know what I'm doing, great. So, and then you give just three, four examples, and then you say, now it's your turn. And it actually does a pretty amazing job. So, so things that are not on your radar, you're not so good at, let's say, um, am I communicating in the most diverse and inclusive way that I could? And maybe I'm even referencing a framework or, or, or something that somebody has, has written about it. Also, ChatGPT can help you can help you do a lot with it. It can actually be your secret assessment body without taking formal assessments. Just, just check what I'm doing here and how I'm evolving over time. So various use cases, how, how to use it as a leader. That's what I want to say. Yeah, no, there's just so many ideas. I love talking about this stuff because I just love thinking creatively and, and there's so many fun things that you can try out with these with these tools. So uh, so I want to we want to be respectful of your time and we're we're kind of getting close here. I'm, I'm curious what what as we kind of close out, but what's 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 next for CCL in your area? What are you what are you all thinking about? What what didn't we ask you that you know you want to <laughs> To share with us. Well, that, there are, of course, it's been a fun year experimenting, but at some point, those experiments need to, you know, come out of the dark corners where we make them, and 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 become useful for people. So I think a lot of that is going to happen next year. That, that we'll do our part of it, other parts. Um, I think a huge thing is, is, I think you alluded to to the black box problem. Is this trustworthy? Whatever comes out to to do a better job at that, and, and some other things that we will be doing. So for sure, it's going to be interesting to see how this all fits. Um, I think the thing that didn't come up was like something I wanted to say to the community of, of educators on leadership is um, it's very good to be in this from the start, uh, even if it's going to evolve in multiple ways. So allow yourself and students and people around you, peers around you, the time to experiment, to learn about this, to test it out yourself. It's not going away. As somebody else said last week, the wolf is out and it's already eating your grandmother. That's a bit dramatic, right? Uh, but it, it's already out there. We are at the start of, of, of it. Um, most people are still in the experimenting phase. So are we. But you will see things coming out of that. So all you need is creative spirits, some good mindset, a few policies in place, like don't feed this thing confidential or private information and always be transparent whether AI is used and stuff. And once you have those in place, you don't need more, just keep going. So I guess if you are still uh, releasing this by the end of the year, I, I wish everybody next year a good experimentation with these things. They, 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 it's actually fun too, so why not? It, it is. Um, that's hilarious. The wolf is out and already eating your grandmother. <laughs> um, I'll definitely, <laughs> would definitely take that one away. 
Uh, so you've been wonderful. We have totally enjoyed having this conversation with you. And I feel like I want to just sit and listen to you more about technology and leadership. Um, we want to say that we appreciate you. We know that you could have been anywhere in the world, but you were here with us today. Um, we also want to wish you best of luck as you continue to uh, curate uh, digital tools for the CCL. Thank you very much and thanks for having me and a big thanks for uh, Chuck and David who, who made the connections to make this all happen. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll talk another time about even more exciting experiments. Leadership educators who may have a little trouble coming up with creative learning activities to further their course and program learning outcomes are now able to meet with Dan or me to discuss the process they use to ensure engaged and inclusive learning environments. Or if you're an academic leader looking for an external reviewer, Dan brings years of experience in education evaluating leadership programs. Contact us via LinkedIn today. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.